0: Welcome to Podagogies, a learning and teaching podcast at Ryerson University. I'm Curtis Maloli. And I'm Chelsea Jones.
1: And we are coming to you from the Allen Slate Radio Institute in Toronto on the Dish with One Spoon territory. And joining us in CEO today is Professor Vincent Hui, who teaches in the Department of Architectural Sciences here at Ryerson. He's also the Experiential Learning Director at the Ryerson Architectural Design Lab, and he is the 2018 recipient of the President's Award for Teaching Excellence. Welcome to the show. Well,
2: thanks for having me, guys.
1: So, uh, I'm going to start, you know, often on, uh, on interview shows, they start people off with like easy questions, and then they work to the difficult questions, mm-hmm. but we're going to start you off with a difficult question. Bring it. Uh, we, you're, you're something of a, of a legend on campus, and I know this because I've heard from uh, numerous undergraduate students that have taken your courses um, that you have some, some outside-of-the-box teaching strategies, including one that uh, seems to involve a hamster do you want to maybe tell us, uh, I, I've heard there it involves sleight of hand, that students are traumatized. Uh, what do you do with a hamster in an architecture class?
2: So make sure you get your waivers sorted out first. Uh, no kidding. Yeah. Don't traumatize <laughs> your students. But um, yeah, so the, the, the experiment and the lesson plan that you're talking about is when I had to teach structures. And that's typically uh, one of the more boring courses. And we'll talk about that later. But uh, it's one of the more boring courses where students really don't see the connection between all the cool aesthetic design components that they're producing a studio uh, versus the technical boring, like, calculations. Um, so what happens is that to make it more um, accessible and more invaluable to the students, I basically take out um, at the lectern, I have a little bucket and I basically put it out in front of them and I also plug in a kettle and the students look at this and go, what's going on? The kettle starts whistling away, heating up the water, and then um, as I pour the water in, I'm giving my lecture and I say, hey guys, remember we are talking about the readings when it comes to structure? Like, what's a joist? What's a beam? What's a column, right? And we take a little bit of uh, cardboard, and I go, hey, get some volunteers up. They come on up, start putting it together, and I say, frame it on top of this bucket. They put it on top of the bucket. And I've poured some boiling water, and it's clearly steaming. The kids see this, and it's really, really hot. I say, touch the side of the the, the bucket, and they go, wow, that's toasty. And then I say, well, it is, does that work? Is, is, that, is that enough to fulfill the lesson plan? And they're like, yeah, there. Joists are there, flooring, decking's there. And I go, okay, great. So I pull out Mr. Mittens, uh, my daughter's hamster. Mr.
0: <coughs> Mittens, oh,
2: don't get too attached. Um, so <laughs> Mr. Mittens comes out, and I pick him up a scruff of the neck, and I say, here's Mr. Mittens. He loves yogurt drops. Pull out a yogurt drop, and I say, and can I also get another volunteer? And I get a student who loves animals or has an affinity for cute things, and I say, look, you stand on the other end of this bucket, and you are in charge of the yogurt drop. Make sure it doesn't fall in. And here's the thing. If you uh, so much as touch the hamster, touch the drop, or touch the bridge, you will fail the course. They, they don't know at this point in time that they can't fail the course for that. But basically, um, I put the hamster on the other side of the bridge, and um, basically, the students are just like, what? Seriously, you're doing this? and you see some of the guys in the back will take their cell phones and just start taking photos and watching this go down and the hamster, not being the smartest creature on earth, walks across this uh, bridge, halfway through, it falls right through and dead silence and maybe a little bit of shriek and then everyone's just like, oh my God. And I say, see, that's the problem. You guys just did the status quo stuff, the bare minimum, you did the calculations
1: and the hamster, it's just dead. So nice. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of traumatized right now, actually. So,
0: so you've got this bucket that's ostensibly full of boiling water mm-hmm. and like a piece of cardboard over top. Yep. And a hamster walking on that piece of cardboard trying to get to the yogurt drop. Mm-hmm. And the hamster falls through.
2: And don't forget the cardboard. I mean, the cardboard has feelings, too. So it falls in, two. <laughs> Um, uh-huh. And uh, the students have put together that cardboard bridge to kind of simulate the readings from understanding how assembly for structure works. Mm. And of course, I just keep on going through for the next like hour or so about the lecture about like life safety and all that stuff. And people are just still like fascinated by the fact that. So you le- they believe this whole time the hamster has perished. Oh yeah, and they think that I'm like dead serious and like see you guys did only the bare minimum and you let something die. Congratulations. Mm. And I keep on going about the other issues. And then finally, I like how you're not worried about telling us this on the podcast. Oh, uh, uh, so, well, I'm pretty sure there's a reason why I'm not going to teach this course again. Um, so, so basically, uh, at the break, I pull out the bucket and I go, come on, man, what kind of sadistic guy do you think I am? I, I save that for your exams. So I pull out the hamster and the hamsters just sitting there and it's like chewing away at this yogurt drop. And I go, see, everything's OK. Nothing happened. Now, to be fair, the secret is... Um, I know a little bit about chemistry, and I had a bunch of desiccant and stuff in the bucket prior. So it's like um, the stuff that you find in shoes. When you buy those shoes, it says, do not eat. Well, basically, I put a lot of that in the bucket. Uh, It's like the stuff you'd find in uh, uh, adult diapers, for example. Uh. The hamster effectively falls all of, like, a few inches into warm jello. And that's why the hamster's safe. I commit no crimes. And the students, better yet, learn a valuable lesson.
0: And so what is that valuable lesson? Students walk away thinking what?
2: Don't let Vince have hamsters or pets. (laughs) Um, And uh, and the other issue is, of course, the issue that what they're learning in school actually has real world implications. I mean, Mm -hmm. you've seen lots of, in all honesty, you've seen lots of uh, tragedies where not just simply by uh, poor craftsmanship, but even when earthquakes and other natural disasters uh, uh, come about, It's because people cut corners or people didn't really value uh, the kind of structural integrity of the stuff that's a little bit more mundane and boring. So you might have a beautiful-looking building, but if you can't actually be accountable to the structural safety, then you know what, you're not actually doing your job. And that's what I make clear in that particular lesson.
1: And so there's really like you're incorporating that effective domain of learning that maybe we don't ne- typically uh, associate with STEM or with um, sciences or architecture, but really focusing on the effective aspects of this.
2: Yeah, and I think that's that's where we're going with education in general, that it's not just simply you learn about math and that's it, you graduate with a math degree and ta-da, you're a, you're a mathematician or something. You, we're increasingly seeing a globe where there is inter- and multidisciplinary activity going on. There is no profession which is solely in existent in a vacuum. And when we start talking about structures or architecture, it's not because you want to make an icon in an urban landscape or that you want to make a building just hold up. You're actually held accountable to social responsibility, like not only how it's an epitome of culture, but also that people live and die within your buildings, Right.
0: So in the past, you told us something about this hamster story, and you framed it as super experiential learning. So what makes it super? What makes it sort of go beyond the basics of experiential learning? So I think
2: experiential learning is one of those terms that's been almost cliche, like innovation and entrepreneurship. I mean, everyone talks about that. Um, I I think that super experiential learning is basically going beyond simply just the conventional co-op or like the... Generic application to like some sort of case study. I think uh, super experiential learning is one where a student has like the, I don't want to get into Maslow's hierarchy, but they actually get a sense of self satisfaction. So whether it's um, understanding a method to help them advance their careers, or help or helping them perhaps um, understand topics more appropriate, like or the, the value of it, like with the hamster. Um, I think that experiential learning in the super experiential learning model really has to go above and beyond. And and you see that a lot of that in Ryerson, right? Like I I mean if you look at all the Uh, experiential learning opportunities that our students are provided, everything from travel abroad, where they can actually apply their knowledge um, to different places, all the way through to what you're seeing right now along King Street with the Shape Lab group. They're actually taking students from like criminology, certainly architecture, planning, and they're actually doing interventions where they're taking a lot of the knowledge base and their design intentions, right, and they're actually making it manifest in the real world, in the public realm. That is an example of super experiential learning, beyond simply the lesson stuff with the hamster. But we're talking about students actually making their ideas into reality, which is, again, a sense of self-fulfillment. But better yet, for a lot of those students, it's applying what they've known or learned about in school and actually doing it at, at the kind of undergrad or grad level, as opposed to doing it only when they're in the profession.
1: And you would said earlier that often you'll be teaching courses that maybe some students have you know, traditionally seen as boring or, um, you know, courses that other professors don't want to teach. Do you think this is kind of the, is this the key to your success in teaching those courses? Why don't people want to teach them?
2: Okay. So um, why don't people want to teach them? Um, It's that eight o'clock slot that Ryerson West throws. Uh, (laughs) But I I think it's uh, a lot of people just uh, get inundated with the fact that it's just a boring course that it's, oh, uh, the course I'm teaching is all about just number crunching and, you know, you just kind of catch the formula and you just kind of do it. Um, I I think that For a lot of uh, profs, the best way to uh, take on these types of courses is to do what I've taken upon myself. And I don't want to profess that I know everything about, but teach the way you would have wanted it to have been taught. I mean, we've sat through so many courses where you have that one prof that's really great and you can count really good icons and paradigms of great teaching. But you've also been in some of those classes where it's like, I don't know if that prof... If you showed up or didn't, I could learn this stuff on my own. Or, mm. my God, i I've, if I want to fall asleep, I just turn on that prof to just talk to me and just you know, drone away. So um, whether it's turning the tables and making more of an engaged classroom where you actually say, look, uh, I've taught you the basics. Let's talk about how you'd apply it to X, Y, and Z in your own personal life. That's where students actually really get engaged. And thereby, it makes you as an instructor not only get better teaching evaluations, but... Um, it really makes you have a more uh, fun time teaching. Like, I mean, that's the best part about being a Ryerson prof. I mean, the fact that I can go beyond the book and just go, you know, we got this entire ecosystem, whether it's the zones, whether it's being in Toronto, whether it's just kind of connecting to the community, we have all these outlets to actually bring what we teach and bring our students into that realm. So you know, I've got a couple of students right now, they're working with the uh, Church Street School, Church Street Elementary School, right up the street. Um, And they're just doing some small interventions to help those guys out. We've also got the Shape Lab going on. We've also got um, an initiative where we're trying to bring out fabrication and digital tools out to students in, say, disenfranchised communities. Because you know what? It's not only just teaching the students, but it's also teaching the teachers. So we're actually taking a lot of the stuff that we're doing right now here at Ryerson And we're making two things. We're empowering our students to actually bring that stuff out, right? And actually make, you know, whether it's the Shape Lab or whether it's various initiatives to actually make their ideas into reality and thereby getting experiential learning. But it's also us being community city builders and actually extending our ability to present everything from education to um, opportunities to students and, and, you know, high school kids and and the general community uh, to all the stuff that we have here.
0: I like this idea of, Teaching the way you wish you would have been taught. Are there particular lessons that you try to teach students that maybe you weren't taught, or that you wish you would have been taught?
2: Ooh. Um, okay. So uh, I have a general uh, trifecta of rules, and 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 it's not really explicitly you can you can you can get through school without having to learn these rules, but I think that my general rule of thumb for my students is, and this sounds terrible. Uh, don't be stupid, don't be lazy, and don't be arrogant, right? And you don't have courses that actually teach those things, right? But um, actually, I'm giving away my convocation speech right now. But the (laughs) the, the thing is that um, those are lessons that I teach my students. So when you're doing a design studio project, right, you're working away, and you know what? Don't be stupid because I want you to ask the questions. Don't assume that everyone knows everything, right? Um, When you're working away and I say, here's the bare minimum, exceed that, and they see what their colleagues are doing, don't be lazy. Don't just do more than what's expected because you never know what you're going to surprise yourself with. And the best part is, of course, don't be arrogant. I think that even though Ryerson has a lot of opportunities, I don't think any of us can, uh, as instructors and as community members, we don't want to have people say, well, we're the best and I'm going to be complacent. If anything, um, you always want to make sure that you're grateful, and say thanks and and that's what we're doing here when we when we start doing all these educational opportunities and certainly the service and applied learning outside of the classroom we know very well that we're not the most knowledgeable about things but better yet we're just trying to share into the community offer our insights and get some feedback there because a lot of students when they when they go out um for example we uh have done a couple of projects um in Nuit Blanche right design builds and we've worked with a lot of architects but we also worked with a couple of uh, students from high schools and it's really impressive to see that by doing that the students in our Ryerson students get to uh you know teach students about like 3d modeling and all that but better yet they also start learning about patience because you know they always say the cliche of you know when you teach someone you actually learn more well it's also they started picking up things like patience or Mm. how to deal with resource allocation they take ownership of it and that's where our students get more of that learning um that you know is above and beyond what you would normally have teaching the way you would have would want to been taught is exactly what the students are doing
1: And it sounds like you're really foregrounding um, the importance of students taking responsibility for their learning, taking ownership for their learning, and that you, do you envision yourself as working sort of side by side with students? Is that one of the ways that you think of yourself in a classroom?
2: Um, I I wouldn't even say side by side. I would say I'm I'm the guy underneath them, like making sure that some of the infrastructure is there. I I think gone is the model where it's like uh, the professor is the one that, Leads the charge. I think that, um, as I said, it's increasingly becoming more and more multi and inter- it's interdisciplinary. And as a result, no one entity, no one authority has the knowledge base for everything, right? So, uh, with architecture, for example, I might know a lot about design and building, but when it comes to i don't know if i was commissioned to design a museum i don't know everything about the you know the clay and glass museum i don't know what's going on in there i don't know the artist i have to do my homework i have to defer to other authorities in a similar vein um when i'm dealing with my students i don't profess to have the ability or all the knowledge to know how to teach i don't have a teaching degree (laughs) like let's let's be honest here Mm -hmm. I, i don't listen man i do not know how i got those awards right um and it's simply put i just teach the way I would have would have wanted to have been taught, right? So um, when I'm working with the students, I just, I'm like one of them, and I'm trying to learn myself a lot of times. But you're right, I do have a little bit of authority insofar as I can sign the checks or I can make sure that the permissions and the insurance is covered. But that's, again, where I'm below the students, helping make sure that infrastructure is there so that they can actually walk the walk.
0: So if there was someone listening right now who thought, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to teach below the students. I don't know how to do this experiential learning stuff. What advice would you have for them on just how to get started in terms of teaching a little differently?
2: Well, Chelsea, there's this great thing called the Learning and Teaching Office. Um, but <laughs> they, they, these, listen, Ryerson's one of the great uh, universities where they actually support innovative teaching. I mean, everything from the innovative teaching grants that they provide down to the kind of forums and uh, you know, basically, you can actually visit different profs teaching. Right, and it's very difficult for me to say here's a general blanket rule for how you can improve your experiential learning opportunities or you know, that type of teaching. But, but I would recommend A, the first step is to uh, go and talk to your learning and teaching office guys, because th- these This guys, is not an advertisement for the <laughs> learning and teaching office. <laughs> wait, wait, I haven't gone to the order now and you had a free food slicer or something. Yeah. Um, but thank you, yeah. yeah no, but, but okay, so that's, that's the first one. And, but I mean, also we are spending hours, like three hours, nine hours a week with our students. I'm pretty sure in those discussions, it's not just the prof standing at the room talking and doing PowerPoint karaoke and then just going, okay, I'm done, see ya. I think there's that discussion. You talk to the students, right? And I'm not talking about just talking to the students in the class because I think that might be forced, but you talk to them after hours. You talk to the students that have finished the, the course or your graduate students, and you go, you know what? I really want to find a way to really make a greater engagement. And, and you know what? You'll be surprised at how many things come out of the woodwork because you just simply go, hey, how would you teach this course, right? Again, how would you like to have been taught this course if you were doing it? And so many ideas come out, like whether it's mm-hmm. you know taking on different media, whether it's social media or different approaches to like different types of projects, or maybe the way you actually uh, dispense with the material. All these things come about from talking to the actual—I don't want to say consumer, but the audience that you're go- you know going for, right—and really engaging your students in where they're at. Yeah, and I think that more and more, if students see that kind of uh, approach to teaching from our faculty, I think it does two things. It lowers that kind of hierarchy um, so that students feel comfortable talking to us. And better yet, for us as, as, as instructors, we actually get to get some insight and go, you know what, you know, there's always new ideas that they might have that you just go, oh man, I, I didn't think about that. Like I remember one year, um, we do reviews for students. So uh, uh, typically, a student will design a project, post it up on the wall, and then we'll say, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, fix that, and I think you'll have a better project. And that's it. Um, I realized that the students they just, come home with this negative feeling of I did everything bad, right? So mm-hmm. what I've done since is that at the end of the term, I've it's not even like an assignment or something, but I basically record MP3s for each of my students and just go, look, I've got all of your projects in front of me and I'm gonna spend like five or six minutes just going through every single one of the projects very quickly and say, You did good on this, you did good on this, but you know what? If you really want to exceed do excel, do these things and I promise you you're gonna and I give them tips, right? So that, that little thing came about from talking to students because they said, you know what, I dwell only on the negative when I'm in reviews, but when you close out, I said, look, I'm going to make these MP3s so that you always have this reinforced uh, kind of voice message from your prof from yeah. first year saying, look, you, you are destined for good things, but just got to fix these things. And that's kind of going beyond and listening to what the students have said, which was, you know... It's a negative thing, and I, I just don't. Like in my sketchbook, and in my notes, all I have is this negative, negative, negative statement of, of what I got to fix. But then when they get this MP3 at the end of the term, it's a it's a quite a good surprise for them. But it's yeah. also like, okay, now I got some steps moving forward on how to be better.
1: I love that. So really, you've you at the end of this course, you've provided this summative feedback that ties together all of the learning in the course. Yep.
2: Yeah. And, and and I don't want to be like um, forcing this on other people, but I think that's just the way I deal with my students because um, it's 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 a covenant. What I'm really forcing myself to do is to make sure that the student comes out with a decent uh,
1: groundwork for a good education, right? So. so- it's um, honestly, I can even sitting across from you. Your enthusiasm is like you know coming across the table. So uh, this has been really, really informative. Thank you so much for sharing all this. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for sitting with us today, and thank you to everyone at RTA Productions, John Gerardo, Margarita Brighton, Shannon Cavello, and Christian Ryan.
1: And of course, thanks to the Learning and Teaching Office that uh, Vince did a great job of uh, giving a shout out there um, for funding this project, uh, and to everyone who's listening. Please get in touch with us at potagies at ryerson.ca or uh, leave a comment for us on uh, SoundCloud. Thanks a lot.